the, the girls have heard this before, but 14 years ago, I had an operation on my arm here. Doctors said I wouldn't be able to use it. Well, what the hell do they know, I said. And, and I rubbed it for a half hour every day. And then I got so I, I could move it a little. And then and I, and I got so I could turn a faucet. And, and pretty soon I had my arm back again. Now I can't feel a damn thing in it. All numb. I, I, I'm afraid to cut it, you know? Mary usually does the carving, but maybe tonight you'll do it, Henry. Welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies and spookies with Bryn. <laughs> and Jeremy. And today is the first week, the first week of spooky month. Yes. Uh, and our first opportunity to reuse a novelty theme song. That's right. The first Assuming one, we're going to reuse it. <laughs> oh, we absolutely ought to. I worked hard on those. Um, yeah. So this is the first Dark Council spooky month. Uh, the underlying theme here is body horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this at the end of the last episode, um, but we didn't. We seemed unsure. So, just so you know, this is what's happening. It is body horror month, and we had a bit of a conversation, uh, and I had some separate conversations with my horror director friend mm-hmm. about like what counts as body horror and what is body horror, and like. Movies that I like generally fall under that category, um, but it's such a weird and specific category that we decided to be a little loose with what that means because yeah. it's, it's sort of like, it's one of those things where it's so specific. It's like, it's supposed to be about a protagonist who's having something happening to their body. So lots yeah. of famous body horror movies like, say... um from beyond like doesn't actually count it's kind of a monster movie um and not a body horror movie even though it has like you know society kind of doesn't count by that definition so yeah so i was gonna say like like a movie like for example because we're gonna have to come up with this at some point for our own pick later in the month um yeah. and i personally i'm not a body horror guy i've never even i feel like i even asked on this show once what body horror actually is so i might have actually had this conversation maybe relitigating an old conversation and (laughs) it in that case apologies listener um but so a movie like for example audition that's about specifically torture to a body like is that that's not body horror it's about a transformation of a body (laughs) well that's just a that's a that's a but then but we're watching dream. we're watching saw we're gonna watch saw 10 also doesn't count also doesn't I mean, count so we're kind of we're, ta- we're kind of talking about a month about like body horror adjacent movies mm. uh that like involve gore effects and you know 
Yeah, because Eraserhead then wouldn't really be, because it's not the protagonist whose body is horroring. Right, exactly. But it's kind of his mind. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. It, it's always a little bit of a stretch. Generally, the only things that like really count are movies like Bug, movies like Videodrome. The Fly. Um, the Fly is perfect body horror. Like David, David Cronenberg is the king of these. He's the guy. That's, uh, the, and, that's the one. And Stuart Gordon. Um. Reanimator is one I think that generally counts, hmm. um, which we will be watching. Uh, have you seen Reanimator? No, I haven't uh, seen anything this month. This is my first <laughs> time watching Eraserhead. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, we'll get into that. So, don't be mad at the Dark Council. <laughs> this it's a very difficult uh, theme to pin down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try and suggest one that really, really counts. But Jeremy can pick whatever he wants, and they'll vote on it. Yep. Um, but I'm excited for this month. These are some of my favorite types of movies. I'm excited to have to go to the theater for the first time. Or is yeah. this the first time we've ever, besides like the Joker? But we did uh, the Matrix. Ah, uh, yes, we did the Matrix. Resurrection. But we didn't do that on purpose. That wasn't like a, you have to go see it thing. No. It was a, we both saw it and wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And this don't for future dark council, uh, formations, uh, don't take this as a precedent. <laughs> yes. Don't make it's this a regular thing. It's not going to be allowed that you have to make us go see something in the theater. We just both want to watch Saw 10. We're both and, okay with it. And I'm due a night out. <laughs> <laughs> it happened to line up. It just happened to work this time. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Uh, but before we get to our feature presentation, Jeremy, what else did you watch this week? Thank you for asking, Bryn. Well, as I said, I am due a night out because my wife has been out of town uh, for the whole week. Uh, So I'm home alone with Nico, uh, solo parenting, all by my lonesome. And uh, so we're we're hanging out, chilling hard, watching stuff together. And um, I'm trying to, like, get him out of his routines because he just always wants to watch the same shit. Um, But once we get going on something, he'll watch something else. so uh, I showed him Cars. <laughs> I'd never seen it before. Pixar's uh, Cars. Pixar's Cars. Okay. I've seen bits of it because his cousins all had a Cars period. I, so I, was I, like, I often think about the phrase, what's lightning up to? Yeah. Is something that you said one time. <laughs> I need to know what Lightning McQueen is doing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I showed him Cars uh, thinking, you know, he likes cars. He likes vehicles. Uh, Maybe he'll want to watch this. We watched about 15 minutes of it before we both were tired of it and turned it off. It sucks. It's not good. I can't believe how bad that movie is. And Pixar at that time was in like peak form. I mean, this is like this is primo Pixar era. Yeah, I remember going to see that movie and as a, you know, teenager and being like, Pixar is good. They make good they make good stuff this would be something cool about how cars think or whatever (laughs) and i remember like watching the trailer and being like this doesn't look very good but it's pixar so that was the first one i remember being like woof that was a rare whiff for them yeah um and then they kind of never fully recovered yeah so that sucked uh we turned it off neither of us liked it it's very annoying and dumb uh another thing we watched this past week uh over the weekend uh, we had Nico's cousin over for a sleepover, and I showed them Over the Garden Wall. Oh, great. Lovely yeah. movie. We watched this last year. Yeah, we watched this last year, and I loved it so much uh, that I decided I wanted to watch it again, and I thought, well, maybe the kids will like it because it's a fun cartoon. It's a they cartoon. loved it. Yay! They yeah. are all about it. 
that's gotta that's gotta be like one of the like peak parenting feelings is like mm-hmm. showing your kid a media you like and they like it. Then they like it, yeah. Uh-huh. With like a childlike love, you know, of just mm-hmm. like, yes, we love it. Yeah, I mean, it's a different sort of a thing from what we like about it, obviously. But I mean, like, Nico was obsessed with the frog. Uh, yeah, Eli, yeah. Eli really likes the talking horse. They both were, like, pointing out things that were coming on the screen, just going nuts for him. They're like, look, a pumpkin. It's talking. <laughs> you know, they just, like, were obsessed <laughs> with it. Um, so that That's was great. Awesome. We had an awesome time watching that. Um, it's a beautiful movie. A beautiful movie. One of my, one of my like immediate favorite uh like halloween things now i'm gonna probably watch it every year i mean it's the yeah. fucking best it's, it's so good it's and it's so long. short it's a nice yeah. easy little thing to watch throw it on on a rainy october afternoon it's a perfect sleepover thing yeah you know it's just the right amount of time for like getting us from dinner to bedtime and just like chilling and just watching a thing together um that's like you know it's in the spirit of the season but it's not you know, inappropriate for kids. Um, yeah, huge. Everything that's scary about it is like not super scary. It's not like freaking them out. They're not having nightmares. But it's a little you know? creepy. But it's a little creepy. And there's like a little moment where like, you know, Nico gets like, Whoa! and then like he's like, ah, <laughs> it's funny again. So yeah, if you haven't watched Over the Garden Wall yet, folks at home, go ahead and check that out. Huge it's on recommend. Hulu. Uh, huge recommend from me. The other thing I've been watching this week after Nico goes to bed, um, because I forgot that I'm supposed to be watching Sense8, uh, so now I'm going <laughs> to switch over to Sense8, but I have been re-watching the first season of Game of Thrones because the the uh, Sopranos tier uh, did not give us Game of Thrones <laughs> as <laughs> so I requested. because you loved it. i just watching because I love it. Um, season one of Game of Thrones is so fascinating. Um now with the perspective of having seen the whole thing having seen where the whole thing goes and like what happens with the directors and how bad you know the end of it kind of ends up being yeah um you can kind of see a lot of the problems already rearing their heads um sure (laughs) like right away like some of the things that are really great about it are like it looks really incredible right off the bat Uh Like, I'm really surprised in episode one, that's the fucking pilot, you know? That's like the, the, nobody knows it's going to be a hit. Nobody knows it's going to happen. And they're really, like, they're really doing it. They're making it look fucking fantastic. The opening sequence with the Night's Watch guys, uh, you know, finding the White Walkers for the first time, like, really, really looks good. It's not like, you know, it's not like, you know. It hasn't aged poorly, even though it's... At this point, yeah, I mean, like what, 13 like years 13, old? something like that, um, 2011, so 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hasn't aged poorly, and it's kind of like, it's, it's you know, it's not like innovative or anything like that. There's nothing happening that you're like, holy shit, how did they do that? You know how they did it, but it like, sure. just like the shot selection, the, the uh, location scouting, just like the eye for how to like move the camera in these shots is all just very, very, very nice. Um, obviously the acting is good. The story is still all the book stuff. So it's like really fully realized and well lived in and stuff. But something that I'm really starting to notice is, um, the Davids are not, um, or is the other one David? The, they're D and D is what everybody calls them. I assumed they're both David anyway. Um, uh, they are David and Daniel. Uh, whatever. David and Daniel. They're Daniel among and wise. They are, however, among the HBO Davids, along with uh David Simon and David uh 
Soprano. <laughs> David Chase. Uh, but something I'm noticing a lot is that they don't understand the 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 source material. There's a lot of times where uh, there is a line that I assume is directly lifted from the book because if it's not, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. Uh, <laughs> where there's like a comedic thing happening. There's like a funny thing somebody says and the actor just like barrels right through it they don't even like they they don't Mm. give it a moment to breathe they don't try to like you know put a little bit of of effort into like finding the space to make the joke you know happen like land (laughs) yeah it, it, it just it's 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 fascinating how often there are funny lines that you're like that should have been funny that should have been a laugh but they just don't get it they don't get it they're reading the book and they're just like oh that's something somebody says put it in there you know (laughs) weird and it kind of goes to show like just how good the source material is that like even with somebody reading it and not understanding what's happening in it at all you know it's it's i guess it's the story still holds strong the acting is is pretty good but not great but pretty good Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know it's got a lot of stuff working in its favor in season one like that it, it it's just i don't know it's fascinating. I'm very interested. Maybe it's just like that the actors don't have comedic chops. I don't know. I'm, I, there's one specific one that I just watched that like Varys has like something. I wish I could remember what the fucking line. I should have written it down. But like, yeah, Varys just plows through his comedy all the time. Tyrion does a pretty good job. He gets his laughs. Tyrion is funny. Yeah. But maybe that's just because um, Peter Dinklage is just a really good actor. And he's done comedy before. He is good. Yeah, that, you know, it's a funny thing because it's like I kind of, like I don't hate the show, but Mm -hmm. like when I watched it, it was like that, there was that opening sequence of like the cool Night Walk or whatever they're called, White Walker guys or whatever. And I was like, whoa, this is going to be like a cool, like surreal fantasy show. And Mm -hmm. then for like most of the first season, it isn't. Like it's Mm -hmm. just people talking and... You know, which I love. <laughs> Those are the I've, best parts of the show. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't really think it was very compelling. It gets a little better. Like by the end, every of season, time the sword fights happen, I say "boo!" Get back <laughs> to the fucking talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, have, I think that as it went on, I started to like understand who the characters were. I just ha- I maybe have some sort of face blindness or something, but like mm. it really. Ha- no, that is true. I remember the first time watching season one, I felt the same way where I was like, I don't, I don't know who these people are. I don't know who are. these people are. I keep forgetting who everybody is. Everyone looks the same. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've This, this has been happening in Sense8. There's two characters that look, to me, exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and well, I've, the- I'm sure I've told this story before about seeing um, uh Holocaust movie was the Schindler's um, List, Schindler's List <laughs> and and being a being completely incapable of telling uh, Liam Neeson and Rafe Fiennes apart. Right. <laughs> but they're on different sides. It, it is fundamental to your understanding of the movie. <laughs> Could not be more important. So this guy's a Nazi and trying to save the Jewish Wow, people? talk about playing both sides of the coin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, yeah, season one of Game of Thrones, if you haven't heard, is very good. <laughs> I've heard that. People like it. I'm uh, I'm also very interested in, like, how much better the show looks when it's cheaper. 
you know, like you can tell that they're stretching budget in most of the episodes. They're doing a lot of like, you know, something that is, is like fantastical, um, like a castle or, or like the wall or whatever, like something that doesn't exist yeah. in real life. They're always showing it at a distance so that it has like a bit of distance fog on it. So they don't have to, you know, render a massive, it's also like you know, super detailed and thing. I, and it's, it's just one of these things that I feel like CGI has like completely made directors lose as a concept of that. Like it looks better if you don't see everything. Like, mm-hmm. It looks better if it looks like it's really there and isn't CGI and like sweeping like drone style vistas of things that are big look fake. Like because you don't see stuff like that. Like it, you know, if you came upon. It's overstimulating, you know. Well, it just it just makes it it makes you have this distance from it of like, well, I would never be in a drone like yeah. making this movement. I'm and not a bird. <laughs> honestly, this kind of like that kind of is something that I think once that was possible, like if you watch Koyaanisqatsi, like that's a movie where it's all that where it's just like big people were like, let's fly over these landscapes and stuff. Mm-hmm. It looks cool, but I don't necessarily feel the weight and the like hugeness of something like the Grand Canyon looking right. at it that way. It just looks like a cool screensaver. Um, I think it's much, the weight of things are much more uh, apparent when you're filming them like you would if you were standing next to it. Right. Um, and sh- framing your characters as though they're interacting with it in the way they would and i hate that there's this weird like trend now or not weird it's understandable but like anytime there's something huge you need to like 360 spin around it with a drone or whatever and it's uh like okay well this is could just be the size of like a model on my table and i wouldn't know the difference (laughs) um so you're right i think like when the dragons like at the end of the show, like fire down the wall or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, that looks like All a CGI right. cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, but whereas when, <coughs> when Daenerys like first meets the dragon the first time, it's like shot down low right behind her. And it's this huge thing and it looks much cooler. Yeah. And I'm thinking of like when we first see the wall, like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's John and Tyrion are like seeing it from a distance. They're up on top of a mountain looking out over it. And Benjen is like, oh, here it is. It's the wall. And they're both like, oh, my fucking God. And it's then like huge. if it was like later seasons, they'd have like, yeah, the the sky cam, like zoom into it and then like go up one of the elevators and like, you know, show you around it and whatever. I like that we just see it. And then next shot, we're at it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People just cannot help themselves. It reminds me a lot of um, Lovecraft. Mm. Like when people tr- first started to try to adapt Lovecraft they were like, well, we can't show the thing because the idea is that it's impossible. Right. The idea is that it's scary because your mind can't even comprehend it. And if we just show a thing that looks scary, it's just another monster. Mm -hmm. Um, And later on, people were like, no, we can show it. We can make something your mind can't comprehend. It's big. It has (laughs) tentacles. And of course, just looks like a monster. Um, And people just can't help themselves. Yeah. Yeah. so, oh well. Oh well. Well, oh Bryn, well. what did you watch this week? 
This week, I watched uh, a documentary. Um, my my private tracker, my beloved uh, torrent site, uh, mm-hmm. came back up. Oh, great! And, uh, so now Good. I now I now I am not in having to rent things like a peasant uh, <laughs> um, you weren't just using like the pirate bay that's what i do when i have to torrent no, something. I, a lovely discord um user in our discord hooked me up with a alternative tracker that was oh great not quite as good um it was like little less quality and organized but um worked in 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 the in the drought um but level thankfully they they came back and so I immediately just downloaded something that was on the top 10 because it looked interesting. Actually, I was really excited to find out about it, but I found out about it because I went to the main page and was like, oh, what's this? And I just downloaded it and watched it. And that was uh, Anton Corbin's 2023 uh, documentary, Squaring the Circle, mm. um, in parentheses, the story of hypnosis. Um, okay. So Anton Corbin is a music video director. He worked with Echo and the Bunnymen and Joy Division and Nirvana. He's a big music video director from the 80s, it's like 70s and 80s. Um, and then continued, you know, doing U2 and Coldplay and stuff into the 90s and to, 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 unto today. Uh, but he's also directed some films. Um, most, most people know him for his uh, uh, Ian Curtis biography movie biopic uh mm-hmm. that's all in black and white it's called control um he's done some other stuff life and uh, the american with george clooney uh but this is a documentary he made um that is about hypnosis and i don't do you know what hypnosis is off the top of your head so when you said it i thought you were i i was i'm disappointed because i thought it was about to be about actual like <laughs> not you know, actual hypnosis, hypnosis magicians hypnosis yeah uh, uh so i'm seeing the uh the thing from uh pink Dark floyd yeah. yeah so hypnosis was a small independent uh design company um mm-hmm. in in the 60s in in london and uh, I have been sort of fascinated, obsessed with them since I was in high school, finding out about, wow, Led Zeppelin covers and Pink Floyd covers and all these other covers are all by the same guy. Uh, all the best album covers, you know, when you're right, a kid, yeah. like all the coolest looking shit. Yeah, these is like all, massively iconic things, yeah. Yeah, they're all by a hypnosis. And like... um not not all of them obviously but like there's this huge amount of um record covers that they did and uh there have been documentaries i think about these people uh, mm-hmm. but this one is by anton corbin and i'd never seen one before so i threw it on um and it's interesting i i, I really like things about it one it's beautiful um, mm-hmm. it's beautifully photographed. Anton Corbin is more of a photographer than a director. Um, he's a music video guy, so his stuff looks really good. So it's got his sort of stamp on it. Um, but other than that, it's, um, it's a sort of basic talking heads, like yeah. not the band, but like, no, talk- I mean, I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at the trailer right now and it's like, um, I mean, it's everybody. It's like, I mean, 
Paul McCartney is here. Yeah, it's um, all the bands. It's all the. It's uh, Liam Gallagher is here. Noel Gallagher, Noel which I Gallagher. don't know why he's there. He's never worked with Hypnosis. He's an no, idiot. No, he's a fan. <laughs> he's a big fan of them, apparently. Uh, he has the worst stories, and luckily he's not in the movie too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just, just like, yeah, I was in, you know, Brighton. I was and in the shops, and I the, saw yeah. the album. And, and I was like, whoa, changed whoa. my life. It's like, shut up, No, He looks so cool. You're, and it's <laughs> funny, at the very end, he admits, like, all of my album covers suck. <laughs> uh, what is the uh, Definitely Maybe album cover? We never worked with uh, them because they uh, they're too expensive. <laughs> mm, that makes um, sense. Oh yeah, definitely maybe sucks. Look at that. Yeah, That's all so of their generic. albums are just like random covers with like the most boring lettering. Um, it's just yeah, it's a picture of them in an apartment and yeah, awful text. Yeah, and he says like, "What's the story, Morning Glory?" Like someone was like, "How about this for the album cover?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." And then like now he's like regrets <laughs> that he ha- like didn't do something cool because it's like their most famous album. Um, but he's an idiot. He doesn't know what's cool. Anyway, so, uh, the story sort of starts, so the main sort of storyteller is Poe, um, Aubrey Powell, who's one half of hypnosis or not half, I guess, but it started with Poe and Storm, um, and Storm, uh, Storm Thorgerson. I don't if you, if you don't know, um, Storm Thorgerson is like the main sort of like art director, Poe is a photographer and later Peter Kersofferson, who was in Throbbing Gristle and Coil, mm-hmm. uh, also known as Uncle Sleazy, um, also joined them and did a lot of work with them. Um, so they're the three main guys. Storm and, and Peter are dead. Um, died in, in the uh, Storm died in 2013. Uh, Sleazy died, God, in like 2010, I think. Yeah, 2010. So um, so it's mostly just told through Poe's eyes. But what I really liked about the documentary, besides it being about a topic I really care about and really enjoyed, to like mm-hmm. hear like all these stories about them forming and meeting in London, like when they were kids, and then like you know meeting Pink Floyd and how they got to do like their very first album before Pink Floyd was anybody. Um, what I liked about it is that <laughs> he like specifically almost every single story has someone else interjecting with like saying that he's lying. Oh, I li- love that sort of or, shit. Or not like lying, but like just saying like, that's not how I remembered it. Lots of people disagreeing about like, no, I think it was this person. And if they say it isn't this person who made that up, they're wrong. And then like mm-hmm. other people saying like, no, it was this person. So it's like all these sort of drug addled, <laughs> you know, British people sort of being yeah. like, I think it was like this. And like, he doesn't, Make well, an it's effort. funny that the connection there to uh, the Ian Curtis movie, because that's something that I so associate with um, 24-Hour Party People, the other movie about Joy Division. Yeah, yeah. Where there's all these different moments where, like, the camera, like, something's happening and the camera pans to the real person, and they're just like, that's not how I remember this happening. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, when you're making a documentary, I think there's a especially a documentary like this, where it's just like letting people tell the stories. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of directors have, have this, uh, this inclination to make things line up and get like the most true, probably they make decisions about like, who's probably the most correct based on evidence or whatever. And I just, I think it's such a much better approach to, 
Especially in things like this, where it's about creative process and it's about like the history of people in a, you know, in, in, in a workplace, you know, like it's a small group of people who are making art together. Like it's, it's, we as a society, we just have this tendency to like consider, uh, to consider documentaries to be like the definitive story. Like, yeah, it's nice to, in a documentary be like, this isn't the definitive story. This isn't like, you know, this isn't like a fucking, you know historical book or whatever you know this is or this like, is just the story you know or like to understand that everything there is no definitive story and there can't mm-hmm. be like you know what what the definitive story is is like 20 people's perception that is all going to kind of contradict in certain places and they right. might all agree like this thing happened i remember where that was but like how everyone reacted and their emotions and like how it affected everyone is all going to be it's gonna be different from pe- different people's perspectives. Yeah, Subjective, it's like yeah. it's it's um it's such a small story, right? Of such a small thing that you know, it's not like you're watching like a World War II documentary and they just like are like and Hitler invades Poland and then they like cut <laughs> to some random guy who's just like that's not how I remember. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, there's certain things that are definitely things that happened, and I do think you should try to get to like you know whatever is the most like accurate representation of like things that certainly happened, but like definitely in this kind of situation, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, who made up what and whose idea was what it's fun to see people like sort of be like, I think it was this person. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff in this. There's like, I mean, I guess maybe you kind of have to care about these bands a little bit. Like if you do not give a shit about Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd, Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably won't care about, or you probably won't see anything special or interesting about this movie. Um, but if you're interested in like design, but if you're interested probably... in design, they talk a lot about what they were going for and what kind of, like they made such insane decisions. And Storm was just a person who was like, he really considered it like art. And mm-hmm. I think what the movie kind of, I think if there's one thing that hypnosis really brings the table uh and changes about the whole industry is that i don't think people thought about album covers as art as a matter of fact albums were kind of a new thing right um and they were if they were anything they were marketing and hypnosis was the first company or people to say well they're an extension of the piece you know the music is art and this should be art too and right back then singles would come in just a fucking paper sleeve you know mm-hmm. like there wasn't any art on them at all and that was yeah, most exactly. people's consumption of music you know that's right. how people really bought stuff back then was mostly singles you'd get the album if you really really liked it right and i mean this they their first record uh was pink floyd's uh saucer full of secrets which is 1968 which i think is like after sergeant pepper so they're not like the first people to like think that it should look cool, mm-hmm. but they really take it and run with it. Um, after the Beatles sort of be like, we're making a thing. Right. Um, so it's in they're they're charting new waters and they really do some really interesting stuff. And there's a lot of really cool, like archival footage of them, like flying the pig over the British factory for the animals record for mm. like going to the Sahara desert to do that. Uh, the nice record or no, wait, is that the nice? 
that's fucking crazy too man like imagining that from a modern perspective now that like a label assuming you know i assume the label or whatever like somebody financed that just for the album cover is ridiculous nobody would do that now yeah no it's it's it's, they barely let you make music videos now (laughs) (laughs) it's so fucking insane like they they they're flying all over the place and having these huge productions there's cranes and you know huge objects that they're like taking to different places they for, for uh there's this one um paul mccartney record where he like has this thing he's like i want the album cover to be this statue on the top of everest mm-hmm. and they like take the fucking like they take it on a helicopter and they like land on Everest. it's like in, That's it's insane. so insane and it's so stupid because the album cover to, like like someone even points out in the in the movie they're like this you know could have been any snowy mountain but it could have been any snowy mountain yeah it doesn't really look like anything um (laughs) yeah and so they like talk about their regrets and how it was sort of like they were just like throwing like but after um i think i think after uh right after houses of the holy is their first Mm -hmm. collaboration with led zeppelin and then right after that they do um dark side of the moon and it just becomes this you know phenomenon and after that like people are just throwing money at them they're Mm -hmm. like anything whatever you want um and so they're just like what if we do this insane thing um and they start getting really crazy so it's a it's a fun documentary and if you care about that kind of stuff it's nothing super special in terms of documentary it's a talking heads it is nice looking black and white anton corbin is very talented at making things look nice so mm-hmm. i would say it's like a a little notch above like a netflix documentary sure <laughs> you know yeah um but if you're interested in that subject matter it came out this year so you might not have known about it so i recommend you it probably didn't because it looks like it was on netflix oh was it i think so yeah I see on the website it says it's on Amazon and iTunes store now. Um, so, but I, I, de- I definitely didn't know. Um, okay. Well, let's get into our feature presentation. Which let's is do it. David Lynch's first feature film, 1977's Eraserhead, uh, starring Jack Nance and no one else. Uh, no one else. Basically just him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there is uh, other people in the movie, but none of them turn out to be real actors. Um, and also none of them really factor into the story that much. Yeah, I mean, Mary is sort of... She's around a bit. She's but around. Past her, I think nobody gets more than, at most, 10 minutes of screen time. couple minutes of screen time, yeah. It's mostly just Jack playing Henry Spencer. Uh, and your history with this movie is uh, you've never seen it. Never seen it. Never Until seen it. Very familiar with the um, with the cover. Um, mm-hmm. Seen it a million times. Always wanted to watch Eraserhead, but uh, never really got around to it. Now that's interesting that you say that. Now, what made you want to watch it? I mean, it's 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 iconic. It's I mean, David Lynch is somebody who I've always wanted to get more into, but have never really again never since. Before doing this show, I don't think I'd ever seen any David Lynch. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just always seemed like it was kind of like a, a hard to access sort of thing. Like I wasn't going to like it wasn't going to be an easy viewing. Um, sure. 
And I'll right off the bat, I'll say I was very surprised by how actually accessible this movie is, despite being extremely artsy. And I'm glad whatever. that you say like, that because that was also yeah. That's something that I have long thought about this movie is that it's it's presented and culturally understood as like the art movie, like the mm-hmm. at, completely out of touch, you know, crazy uh, artsy movie, and it is in some ways but it is also very watchable it's only mm-hmm. 88 minutes long yeah um and it's funny mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a funny movie uh that is a movie like it's not a long drawn out like character staring at the wall like this is a story right. and there's scenes and it's uh it's it's an interesting movie so i saw this movie when i was 14 mm-hmm. um and i loved it it sort of changed everything Thing I thought about movies like it just was like a bolt out of the blue sure um and and what I was really struck by at a, at, as a teenager in, in high school was that it made complete sense to me mm-hmm. like not not every aspect of it um but like the basic beats of it were pretty straightforward to me um and I'll just quickly recap what the movie's about it's about a guy who has a kid before he's ready um doesn't didn't realize you were gonna have a kid and then sort of has this baby with like a lot of problems and it sort of like kind of tears apart his already shaky relationship um and it sort of causes him to spiral into fear and 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 depression and you know sort of cheating on his wife or or girlfriend uh and you know the ending is much more ex- expressionistic but like as a as a movie like you can sort of be like okay well he either like wants to kill his baby or himself mm-hmm. and uh and then either does or doesn't have you interpret it or whatever but like as a movie like there the beats are there right yeah yeah exactly um the the thing moves really nicely despite having like several points where it's like let's take a minute to uh just stretch our legs and kind of look at uh you know some these worms (laughs) you know let's look at these worms let's have a little musical number while we're at it you know (laughs) it really it, it it's surprising how how nicely paced it is for how often it just takes a minute to be like what if you know <laughs> what if we have a little fun <laughs> yeah what if, what if we have a little sideshow you know what um, a, why not yeah what if he looks into his fucking radiator and there's a chick in there with weird <laughs> cheeks <laughs> yeah what if that happens um, um so what did you i guess what did you think of it so yeah i mean again i was very surprised how how crisp it is i was surprised how funny it is I think something that's a problem for me with it, and I don't have a lot of problems with it, to be honest with you. I really liked it. Um, But one of the things that I found really troublesome about it is that it's not scary. I wasn't scared. I wasn't like, I wasn't uneasy. I wasn't like feeling any sort of way about anything. I was just like, oh, this is cool. This is fun. You know, this is funny what's (laughs) happening right now. This is ridiculous and over the top. Even the fucked up baby you know, yeah. I was kind of like, oh, neat. Like, how did he do that? Yeah, <laughs> it looks what is really this? good. <laughs> it, I'm so shocked how good the baby looks. Right. You know, it looks wet 
and it like the cheeks you know when the eyes move you see the muscles of the cheek moving and you're like how did he do that that's so cool yeah it's Um, amazing yeah and everything else like the baby is really the centerpiece of like what's supposed to be gross and scary about it and whatever but like everything else that they try to add to like make it you know gross and scary and stuff is like kind of silly like when he cuts the chicken and like the blood poops out and <laughs> yeah, like it's funny the lady with the cheeks looks kind of ridiculous and and the little sperm monsters and whatever um i mean i don't know i just think it it, it it's a lot funnier than i expected i'm i almost want to say that i wish i had seen this in a theater like i yeah, would for sure. love to see this with an audience i feel like it would really change things <laughs> <laughs> well you know so the the history of this movie is that he made it in college mm-hmm. um he was in the afi film institute or i guess that's i'm saying atm machine he was at afi in mm-hmm. los angeles um and he wanted to make a movie about and he wasn't young right he was he he was like in his like late twenties, early thirties, probably. Right. Cause he's born. Uh, fuck. Let me pull it up again. Cause I looked this up because one right. of the things he uh, was born in, he was born in 46. I was like, I, I was watching this and I'm like, you know, it's, it's, it's a very good and honest, you know, albeit surrealist, like uh take on a lot of the anxieties of, of, expecting parents and new parents these are things that you feel and things that you do and whatever like you know obviously they're taken to like crazy you know heightened degrees but like you see all of where this inspiration is coming from for him yeah and so i looked up his age and his you know life and whatever because i was like did he have a kid uh, at this point he did he was having a kid when he was making this movie however he also already had a kid who was 10 so i'm i'm a little bit like i'm a little bit like what was your involvement in her life you know did you like kind of were you a bit of an absent father for the first one like because these are very much like first time parent anxieties you know these are the hang-ups of somebody who has not done this yet so his first child was was um was born with uh was also unexpected she was premature mm-hmm. and she has she was born with club feet like okay. severely clubbed feet and like required a lot of corrective surgery mm-hmm. um, at the time so i think he's reaching into and this was also when he was living in philadelphia which supposedly was very t- tense and for him it was just like this violent hate filthy place um mm-hmm. and i think he basically uh, he, he says he says I saw so many things in Philadelphia I couldn't believe I saw a grown woman grab her breasts and speak like a baby complaining her nipples hurt this kind of thing will set you back <laughs> um, he, uh, I, I think the movie is sort of about his time in that place during his first child's uh yeah during the during so i yeah he's already having yeah, another I mean, kid he's definitely through I, I definitely, it at this I, point yeah i was gonna say i thought about it more after i looked this all up and i was like i guess he could just like look back <laughs> on what yeah. he felt back then and make art about it it's not really that hard to believe if anything maybe it's also kind of the reflections of somebody who's doing it again being like man it was crazy how how anxious i was about you know every little every little injury and like how like wet and gross babies are and like i was so worried about like you know all this different stuff like 
you know, you're, you're, you, when you have a new baby, you're like so scared to even like touch it wrong. You're like, I'm going to fuck it up. I'm going to fucking turn it over <laughs> wrong and it's going to suffocate. Yeah. You know, and then it's also driving you insane because you're not sleeping and you're like, just every day is just like a new, fresh thing where you're like, oh, I'm a nerve. I'm just a bundle of nerves. The room feels cold. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, uh, like I said, I saw this movie when I was a kid, so I got it as that. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was a very adult movie, you know, like it felt yeah. like a movie about something grown-ups would be afraid of. So I didn't like identify with it, but like the fear of getting pregnant and like all of a sudden having a baby and just like being kind of thrown into it is like mm-hmm. something palpable. Uh, even when you're young, so sure, sure, sure. I, I, it just it really kind of struck a chord with me as like, even people at that age are are freaking out about this, and like, you know, I I think I thought of it as a very dour movie when I was mm-hmm. young. It didn't scare me because I remember uh, hearing about this movie um, on the internet uh, in in the movie forums that I was hanging out in when I was a teenager. And I was always asking for recommendations of like, what's the weirdest movie you've ever seen? Like, what's the mm-hmm. like craziest twist ending you've ever seen? You know, like, and just watching it, everything they said. And I remember Eraserhead was suggested to me as a movie that was very like the most, one of the most fucked up, like mm-hmm. so weird and creepy and, and horrible. And I remember watching it and just being like, this movie is really sad yeah. more than anything. Like, I feel really bad for the baby. Um, and I kind of think he's kind of cute, you know, like he's not a monster. He's right. like crying and, and pathetic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always felt like I pro- processed this movie a lot differently than it was originally received because the movie, you know, <laughs> it didn't have much of a release uh, right. in 1977, but um, it got very popular as a midnight movie, like a weird curio and people would, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of go see it as like, you know, this weird thing, um, which makes a lot of sense considering what it is. Um, but I, I think upon watching it this time, I, I was also struck by like, there seems to be some sort of like more political, aspect than i had like he has like the he has like a poster of a nuclear bomb on his wall Mm. um and like everything looks sort of like apocalyptic um and and like they talk like the dad talks about how things have like gone to shit and like everything's awful now well it's these i mean you know it's a it is a anxiety movie right it's all about all of your anxieties right so it's you know, being being a young person having a kid and 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 the things that come around with that, and especially in the time period, right? It's still peak Cold War at this yeah. point. People are doing duck and cover at school still. Probably it's only the seventies, and like you know, so yeah, you're 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 nervous about the bomb. You're fucking you're you're anxious about your fucked up little city and how like nasty and gross it is like his apartment is full of dirt and weeds and like he meets the parents and like you know the dad is just like this like overly stern overly aggressive guy and the mom is just this like what i mean she's just like weird and dramatic and they like have the grandma who they have to like operate like a puppet (laughs) it's all of these things are just like what you're anxious about in real life 
but just well, like that, what if it was fucked up well that 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 scene like was so like that was my favorite scene as a kid because like mm-hmm. it felt like when you're a kid and you go to like your you know boyfriend or girlfriend's like parents house it's like you live in a different world and yeah. the things you do make sense to you but like you're already anxious and afraid they're judging you and then everything they do seems weird and alien like that experience is so well realized and and well drawn here where she's like like mary just has like this weird conniption like yeah on the couch and then they like hold her and then like yeah he like kind of knows what's going on and then the dad is like this strange alien who's just like can't connect to anybody and is just yelling Mm -hmm. and then like and then the mom has like the same conniption, but then it like has but hers this, is like this weird, like orgasmic thing over the thing. chicken. Like I, th- th- that's one thing that I see a lot in the analysis of this movie, that it's about like fear of sex and stuff. And I'm not really sure that I necessarily buy that. I no. don't, I don't think that's really a big, th- it's not a, a main flavor of this movie. I feel it's much more of an anxiety movie. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a movie about, it's just everyday anxieties of a like I would say a mid to late twenties um, person who's in a relationship but not ready for a kid. Yeah, and 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 it's funny because it's it's you know David Lynch has said like I think this movie is really a Rosetta f- the Stone for like watching the rest of his work mm-hmm. because you kind of get how he thinks and how he puts stuff in movies where it's like it. It's more about this one is just like the most accessible aside from like Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say this one is like the most accessible because it just feels like you are no matter what you think you are going to feel the way he wants you to feel. Like even if you don't fully understand like what the movie's trying to say, like he's going to make you feel the kind of shame and regret and fear that this guy is feeling. Right. And it's so potent and, and, and like palpable that you can't really deny it. It, it, It's a movie that insists on itself. And like there's stuff in this movie that I didn't have any theories for until I was much older. Mm -hmm. Like, why does his head come off and get turned into erasers? Like, why is it called eraser head? Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't really get that stuff. And now it's all theories, right? Like, I think it's because it's a guy who's like so repressed and regretful that like the metaphors, like he's kind of saying like his actual head could be turned into erasers and how much he wants to like go back and do stuff over, Mm -hmm. Um, which might be a little bit on the nose. Well, Um, it's also just this like, it's the kind of dramatizing you do when you're really miserable where you're like, I would rather be doing anything than this. You know, I would rather be chopped up into little bits and turned into a fucking (laughs) pencil eraser than continue to parent this fucked up monster child, you know? Yeah. And and, and it's stuff like that, that feels so fucking real in this movie where like, you know, like one of my favorite little things in this is when he just starts staring into the radiator and sees the woman singing in there. And, And you're like, I mean, I don't know that any, like, it's just kind of it, it the the ways that your brain will just tune out a little bit when you're just like under that much stress and pressure that you're just like i guess i'm yeah. just staring at this radiator for 10 minutes you know? 
Yeah. And this, uh, yeah. And I think there's a lot of stuff that that's like that. Like what does she rep? I think the problem is, is like David Lynch doesn't want you to think what does this one-to-one represent? Mm -hmm. Like what is the lady, what exactly happens to him when at the very end of the movie, he goes and hugs her in the white light. Like, that's not really what the movie is trying to get you to think about. It's trying to just get you to feel his sort of like despondence and hope. And that's why I think that like calling this surrealist while it is kind of, you know, it is definitely very dreamy and very, you know, inspired by surrealism. I think expressionistic is such a better way to describe what's happening here where it's like, it really is just about gesture. It really is just about like putting something out there for you to be like, to, to kind of fill in the blank and be like, this is this. And I'm seeing, you know, like in an expressionist painting where it's like, yeah. you know, it doesn't necessarily look, if you look at it too closely, it doesn't look like a field of flowers, but you can see all of it together and be like, that's a field of flowers. And you get the vibe, you get the yeah. feeling of the flower. Like, yeah, sure. The woman is like, I think she's kind of just there as like an imagination in, in the middle and, and kind of as, as you know, this thing that he's just kind of like letting his mind drift away from his present situation to just kind of think about. And then at the end, I think he just killed his fucking kid and he's free. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think she's just kind of like this representation of freedom and also like obviously death as well. Cause it's like, yeah, you killed your kid. Like you don't have a life after that. <laughs> right. Um, the man in the planet seems to be like id. Like, mm-hmm. like I think that's the opening sequence of the man in the planet, like pulling levers and then like the baby coming out of his mouth is sort of just like representational of like the desire to fuck mm-hmm. and like make kids like maybe you could look at it as like the, the sex scene that started right. this whole thing. Um, and, and I, I, it's, it's, I don't think it's necessarily intentionally sex negative, like yeah. I, I think that like I don't think he's afraid of sex. He's just like everything in the movie is sort of done in this like like primordial force, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's not in control of yeah. his own life. And so everything seems kind of scary. But mm-hmm. it's not like oh, it's not specifically like, oh, he's scared of fucking or anything. He's right. just like he fucks all happened. the time. <laughs> he does it. <laughs> yeah, you know? He likes it. Um, um but it's about like I mean it's I guess it's like the 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 risk or whatever of of sex i guess i would call it sex negative a little bit but not really like it's it's definitely not what i take away from it um yeah and i, I honestly i don't know if i think that the movie is even like it's the, i don't think what he wants you to take away from it is like don't ever have a kid it's bad right like it's just like exploring the anxieties around it yeah and exactly like, I've oh I when I was a kid I immediately thought like oh he kills the baby and himself and then dies and that's mm-hmm. the ending, but I think watching it this time it felt like it like the, the, when he cuts open little spikes bandages, mm-hmm. um, it felt more like he was trying to help. Yeah, you know, like it isn't until he realized like how fucked the insides are that he like stabs it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then like what actually happens like the, the baby like grows real long and then gets really huge and like it feels more like a metaphor of like his a- his anxiety of it like taking over his life completely mm-hmm. um, and I guess I th- you can kind of look at it now 
as like the lady in the radiator is just like this sort of peace and hope of like what his life is and could become. Right. Um, yeah, and, and that's what it is in the middle section too, right? It's this fantasy where he's watching her. Well, she's singing the song, but then she's stomping on the sperm and he's kind of like fantasizing about this like, what if, you know, what if I didn't have sperm and I couldn't have done this to myself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I don't think there's a necessary, I don't think that there's like a concrete, I think if you say that there's a concrete like reading of this, I would I would doubt you. You know, like... Sure, I bet there's a million people out there who've had different reads of this movie than than this, you know, but I think... It seems pretty clear to me that at the very least, this all hovers around this nucleus of anxiety about parenting. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I, that to me, that feels that feels like the one concrete thing. It's like this is about a guy who had a baby when he didn't wasn't ready for it and had a lot of anxiety and fear in his life. And that's what this movie is. It's like an expression of that anxiety um, and regret and and. I would say I think it's kind of about him coming to terms with the fact that life is something that you don't always have control over, but there mm-hmm. can be beauty in it. Uh, yeah. And, and and I kind of see the ending as hopeful or, 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 you know, a nice ending, but it doesn't matter. You can doesn't read it however yeah. you want. I don't know that I agree with you that it, that it has that hope at the end, but I mean, at the very least it's, definitely about either making peace with or just kind of coming coming to some sort of an agreement with the fact that you just don't control any of it you know it's like you know down to the man and the moon and the you know the fucking levers and whatever it's like even even the desire for sex is not under your control you know right it's the these things are are whether they're, you know, the machinations of God or whether they're your animal DNA, whatever shit, you know, like the, the, you don't, you don't have the power here, you know, something else does. Yes. Uh, so uh, also the movie looks amazing. looks incredible. Uh, We haven't really talked about it. It looks (laughs) fucking sick. (laughs) It's a beautiful movie, uh, filmed on 35 millimeter, I believe, uh, black and white footage, uh, it's gorgeous. Lynch started his life and career as a painter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can tell. And his first movies were uh, ideas that he wanted to paint, uh, like make moving paintings. Like the first movie they released uh, back when I found out about David Lynch in high school, he had his own website. And a lot of the the ways, to, the only ways to get his movies on DVD were from his website personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he released a little collection of like the first six short films he made. Um, and like the first one is a sculpture that he, that he made a looping video to be projected over the sculpture and the sculptures are like vomiting, you know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's like these six people. It's called six men's getting sick. And uh, it's it's a sculpture of six guys, and then like like purple paint is like falling out of their mouths, uh, and that's like his first short film. It's like thirty seconds long because it's just a loop. Mm-hmm. Um, his so paintings kinda... are so fucking sick, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if you, folks at home, if you haven't looked up David Lynch paintings, do yourself a favor. Just go on Google and just Google image search David Lynch paintings. He is 
so good. Damn. Yeah. He he was an incredible artist even then. Uh and he um continues to. I mean, he it's funny he people ask him like why are you not making movies? He's like I'm making a lot of stuff. Like he makes like he just like gets into making furniture and then he'll make like these insane lamps that look like baby trees or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um he'll just like go on a sculpture and painting uh thing where he'll just like do that instead of making movies so he just he's, a cool ass dude he's a cool ass dude and so he went he wanted later in his life you know like we said he was i think 30 what he was like 31 or two when this movie came out yeah it took him a long time to make this movie it took like i i've heard what 10 years or seven or eight years um it took him a long time from filming to uh to finishing they did it in casting began in 71. Uh, so it took him a long time to figure it. They were like doing it in pieces. He was like sleeping in a barn in the a- at AFI for a while. Like <laughs> it took it. He threw a lot of himself into it. it the whole budget was like a hundred thousand dollars. Um, Which it's crazy was, to think he even had access to that money. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he did. I think it was probably all film, you know, like, yeah, but how much it's unclear i've i've tried to look this up it's unclear how much the afi center for advanced film studies like he was 24 when he accepted a scholarship there um and this was supposed to be his like he was going to drop out he was going to drop out and he, they offered him uh just produce a, a script mm. instead of like doing the, the final year or whatever so it's unclear how much of this they paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people on the board were uh, not interested in what he was doing, but <laughs> some some people were like, no, this is going to be awesome. Um, let him dean, cook. <laughs> the dean threatened to resign if uh, if they didn't let him. If wow. they didn't let him cook. Um, so someone, I guess Frank Daniel and a couple other people at AFI really believed in this guy. What a fucking and, uh, origin story. Yeah, so this was his, like, senior thesis or whatever. He's, you know, in his late 20s, early 30s. Um, and uh, he just comes so fully formed. I think what's so bizarre and, like, amazing about this movie is that this is his first feature. Yeah. It's, like, one of his first movies, period. Um, and it it just, he's unlike anything that's going on like i mean <laughs> uh, there's not very many artists period doing stuff that even you could really compare he's just so unique and strange yeah um and i think it looks incredible the acting is okay well the acting is okay but it's also just like really interesting mm-hmm. uh he has them do all these weird like vaudevillian kind of moves and like I love the dad. I think the dad's performance is so funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're new. Uh, I think the script is uh, really just so fresh and interesting. And I don't know. I think I think all of it just looks amazing. It's It feels like it came from a different universe. Uh, and... It's weird. I think he spent the rest of his career growing, but and changing and doing more interesting things or like 
never going back to this exact well, you know? Yeah. And I almost wish he would. <laughs> I almost wish he would make something this expressionistic. Because, like, everything after this is pretty, is much more of a story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We watched Lost Highway. And while it's pretty weird, like, it still feels like a movie in yeah. most of the places where this feels like something totally different. And maybe it's just because it's such an ex it's such a like personal experience. And he was like, had these, he, he said about this movie, uh, eraser is not a movie I thought about. It's a movie I felt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I wish he would make a movie like that. It's probably a very stressful and in- intense process, but yeah. Um, I think yeah I mean digging through these things is like you know I I I love my son and I love being a parent like and I'm sure he does too like digging into these sort of feelings of like those early days of being a parent and stuff are like I mean that's tough that's a tough thing to like it's a tough thing to rectify with your love and your your joy um but you know the two together make a person (laughs) you know <laughs> yeah um so I, I think he i think he's done very interesting things throughout his career but it it's just such a incredible movie uh that it's hard for me to really analyze this and jeremy i, I i'm interested in what you're going to say about your if you recommend it or not like because this movie is just like you know this is top five for me like i i mm-hmm. I've generally said throughout my life that it's my favorite movie. I have a tattoo of this movie, you know, like, yeah, I, it's hard for me to really analyze how it's also just so unique and not really comparable to much other stuff. Mm -hmm. So as a singular piece, I think it's one of the most amazing films ever made. Um, But I don't know what, as someone who just saw it at this point in your life, like, what do you, is it a curio that is like cool and interesting or is, did it? No, I mean, I think it's a straight up, it is a banger. I mean, this is a good ass movie. Um, I don't know if it's a top five for me. It's definitely, I mean, it's easily first column. Um, yeah, you know, it's, this is a good movie for sure. It's getting a big recommend out of me for, for certain. Um, I think you need to just sit with it and just kind of, ignore yourself a fair amount and just kind Mm -hmm. of like let the whole thing happen and then even like sit with it a little bit after because i think the first like half hour of the movie i was like really blowing it off i was like shut up dude this is (laughs) fucking stupid but then as it kind of went and i was like kind of allowing myself to get more into the flow of it i started being like okay i think i like this now and by the end of it you know i talked to mo about it and i was like i think it was pretty good not great you can kind of see like you know why it's so important and influential to people um but I don't know about it. And then I think by the next morning, I was like, damn, that was pretty fucking sick, it really actually. Sits with you. Like, it really gets in your in your noggin and, and it really like gets kick, stuck kick in your craw. <laughs> yeah, because you start thinking about like what the scenes that feel a little art schooly kind of are meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the weight of them sort of sinks in. Uh, yeah, I've seen this movie probably 20 times. Uh, mm-hmm. I love it. It's one of the best movies I've ever. 
I think. So obviously strong recommend. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what else? It's a really famous movie. Like I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're not going to like say anything new about it really, but it's a, it's a beautiful piece. And I, I just, I wish that more people would, were willing to sort of, it's hard because like, I feel like if you start, tried to make a movie like this, people would just be like, Oh, you want to be David Lynch. Sure. But I think it's, I think there is a lot of room in the world of film to like make stuff that is as personal and idiosyncratic and not just be doing what he thinks and not what he feels and showing things how he shows them. Right. Um, I hope that people continue to watch this movie and, and let it influence them uh, if they're interested in filmmaking. And I think um, folks at home, if you're like me and this movie kind of felt like it was it was inaccessible, like this was going to be a tough one to get into that you've kind of been putting off because you're like, I don't know, am I in the right space to watch, you know, art right now and whatever? Like, <laughs> yeah. I really, I can't stress this enough. It's actually a pretty breezy little watch. It's a lot easier than you expect it to be. It's a lot funnier and more charming than you expect it to be, especially if you're, especially if you like catch on and you start getting into the flow of it, like straight up, a lot of out loud laughs from me alone at my computer like it's not <laughs> yeah not it's funny a hard movie <laughs> the chicken the whole chicken sequence is very funny uh the the reveal of when mary is like like <laughs> when she leaves and she starts doing this weird motion that looks like it's just like a weird David Lynch idiosyncrasy where she's like struggling against the bed and then it's just like revealed mm-hmm. that she was getting her suitcase out and it was yeah. stuck. <laughs> <laughs> like that's really funny to me. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of little things in this that are, are keeping it light, I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't, and it's also it, funny in that sequence, um, not to get us all the way back into this again, but um, you know, like when she's like banging against the thing, it's this very like sexual um, rhythm of the banging against the wall. And you just like it in the same way that all these things are like kind of a young person's anxiety about life and sex and, and parenting or whatever. Like that is something that like when you're young and you're like sharing a place or you're like living in a place with thin walls and whatever, you're always (laughs) thinking about that. You're always like, am I fucking too loud? (laughs) (laughs) Can everybody hear it? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's impeccable. I think it's so fun. It's, it's, it's a fun movie. You know, it's, it's spooky adjacent. I think, mm-hmm. uh, it's not a very scary movie. It's not really scary at all. I think if you watch it alone in the dark, like some of the stuff with the baby at the end could be considered scary. Um, maybe I think it's just fun and cool and, and interesting. Uh, um, yeah, but it's, it's definitely a, a, it has a very strong tone of like fear and anxiety. Um, so yeah, love it. Love it. Thanks so much. Dark council for letting us watch this. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite movies and I don't even have to be to blame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, big, big fan of this one. So Beautiful. that is the episode. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, next, let me look next. We have reanimator another great movie in a totally different way. Um, Stuart Gordon's 1985 body horror masterpiece. Uh, Very silly movie. Can't wait to watch that one. Haven't seen it in a long time. Um, So stick around for that one next week. 
until next time, you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss. If you'd like to hear more of our show, we have bonus episodes. Our first sense eight episode, uh, first season of sense eight will be coming out next week or at the end of this week, I should say. Um, and then after that, we will be having yet another um, vote. So if you want to uh, vote on what show we're going to watch after Sense8, which Sense8 was barely beaten by Twin Peaks. I wonder if we will we will see Twin Peaks after this. Um, <laughs> and maybe if you have Eraserhead in your head, like how you'll feel about Twin Peaks. Mm. Um, <laughs> maybe give us, maybe consider giving us Game of Thrones. Or... <laughs> What if you gave us The Sopranos again? (laughs) (laughs) No, that is off the table. There will be no Sopranos rewatch. You could give us The Sopranos again. (laughs) No, it's not. I will veto it. I know know a certain Gen Loss host who would really like that. (laughs) (laughs) We just watched it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, if you want to hear our coverage of Sopranos, you can go to patreon.com slash generation loss and sign up at any tier and you can get all those episodes. But if you want to vote... If you want to have a say in what we watch, you have to sign up at the Sopranos tier. If you want to uh, tell us what we have to watch on the main episodes, that's the Dark Council tier. Go check all that stuff out. Patreon.com slash Generation Loss. Uh, email us some questions that we can answer. Advice. Do you need advice? We did a little advice column on this past bonus episode. Uh, you can email us at generationlosspod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at GenLostPod. Uh, follows individually from there and until next time that's, that's movies the mississippi delta was shining like a national guitar i am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the civil war i'm going to graceland graceland memphis tennessee i'm going to graceland My traveling companion is nine years old. He's the child of my first marriage. But I've reason to believe we both will be received in Graceland. She comes back to tell me she's gone. As if I didn't know that. As if I didn't know my own bed. As if I'd never noticed the way she brushed her hair from her forehead. She said, losing love is like a window in your heart. Everybody sees you're blown apart. Everybody sees the